Genesis 50:20 out of the voice says, "Even though you intended to harm me, God intended it only for good. And through me, oh I have goosebumps, Michelle. And through me, he preserved the lives of countless people as he is still doing today." You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. Hello, friends, and happy October, and welcome to episode 41 of the Altered Story Show, Rebecca's From Prison to Freedom, God's Story. This is Michelle Saunders Gutch, your God storytelling host and founder of Altered Stories Ministry a faith-based nonprofit that helps Christian women share their God stories so women around the world can hear them. Just a few exciting updates, friends, about the show. I'm excited to share that I'm adding my new segment called Mima's Moments to this podcast. This new show segment features the very talented and lovely Sandy Williams, Altered Stories Ministry Board VP, and my longtime friend. Sandy will be sharing her uplifting stories as a Mima. I know all of you mamas, nanas, mimis, G-mamas, GGs, grandmas are again going to love listening to her stories. And this first segment show is titled A Good Name. Also, I'd love your feedback on this new show segment. I also wanted to share that this month we have uh, been able to bring on a guest who has been a 39-year survivor of domestic violence. And this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So the timing of this is just so awesome. So moving forward, I'm excited to introduce her to you. Her name is Rebecca Adams, and she's a Midwest gal. I was blessed to meet her at a Christian women's retreat last November, and we immediately connected. She's an author blogger, domestic violence advocate, women's ministry leader, and a mom of three adult grown children. Now, let's get to know her. So, Rebecca, is there anything else you'd like to share about yourself that I haven't? Well, I have four grand dogs. Oh, I know, right? And then I have my dog right here next to me. He's giving me a hug. Big old lab mix, and he's my boy. <laughs> so what do they call you? <laughs> Grandma. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and then my boy just calls, and he will literally say mama. He can say mama. <laughs> no, that's pretty precious. So thanks for sharing that. You've won over our listeners already. Anybody that's a dog lover is a great friend of mine since I have two and I adore them. So welcome to the show. And 
I just like to know how you're doing. I'm doing well. And thank you for having me on, Michelle. This is just really, really an honor. I have so enjoyed binge listening to your uh, your podcast that you have. Really enjoyed them. And to be a guest is quite an honor. I'm actually doing really well. God has me um, 17 years out now and uh, since I got free. And <clears throat> there's just such a level of peace in my life that I didn't think I would ever have, but prayed that I would. Well, praise God for that, Rebecca. And this COVID-19, I, I just like to know, how, how has your life changed as a result of COVID-19? Have you seen a lot of changes? For me, it's made my life better because I'm able to work from home. And so my dog and I get to have lots of bonding time and he's calmed down quite a bit from me being at home. It really has not not affected me that much, honestly, as far as in a negative capacity. Our church is still meeting by Zoom because we have we're a tiny body of believers and we have two nurses that attend. And so both of them would be exposed, of course, to COVID. One deals with COVID patients. So uh, the rest of us are of an age where it would be behoove us really to just go ahead and, and uh, keep meeting through Zoom. And that's that works out well. And I have a couple of other groups of women that I get together with either through conference call or actually in person. So I don't feel like I'm um, alone at all. I get to see family. Um, so it really has not impacted me much except to make it better because I get to work from home. And that's a big plus. Well, that's good to hear. That makes me happy for you. And I know that, you know, God goes with us through all seasons and no matter what changes where we're at he's there and we're going to hear about that when you share your story so i like to i know you're such a story advocate not only are you a domestic violence advocate but i also know that you really believe in the power of story and you have an incredible book called Freedom Soar, and so it free to soar, yeah, and um, why do you think storytelling and sharing is so important? I know for me personally, it is um, extremely faith-building to know that I'm listening to a true story, that someone has actually walked those steps and experienced what they're talking about. This is not just a piece of fiction. And if God can bring that person through in the powerful way that he did, then he can do it for me. And I can remember even as a child listening at church on Wednesday nights, they'd have uh, a time where people could stand up and tell what God's been doing in their lives. And that impacted me deeply, even as a child. So I believe very strongly in that. Yes. And, you know, Jesus was such a... Uh, storyteller. I mean, he re he did a lot of parables, and you know, I think people related to those. And I think with stories, they make us so relatable to others. And you know, when you're sharing God's stories, I mean, it's it's hard, I think, for people to negate what you're sharing because the power of God is alive. He's real. 
he's working in circumstances. And this is why I really feel compelled to be able to share. So it is quite an honor for me to help you, Rebecca, share this story. And so if you could set the stage for my listeners around your story, I know it's incredible. You have an incredible story around being in prison to freedom. And until you've lived it, Rebecca, it's hard for people to understand. But I can assure you, God has me here to help you because I understand. I have been subjected to abuse and it's very hard. It's very hard in, you know, pastoral abuse and verbal abuse and sexual assault abuse. And so at the hands of those that you would expect that would be there for you or would have your back, you know, and so there's quite, there's quite a a process around this um, in the healing area. So I would just love for you to just to share and set the stage of where years God's story began. Okay. Well, um, from the time I was that I can remember, there was every kind of abuse in our home. Dad was what I have coined a, a rageaholic. And if he had some small object on the table, maybe a pen, and he accidentally knocked it off, you never knew what would happen. But he could very easily go into this exploding rage and usually did because he knocked a pen or a pencil off onto the floor. It was it was just crazy. So we lived on eggshells. And I always like to also interject in here that dad was a pastor. He was a, when I was four years old, he graduated from seminary. And that ordination really impacted me. I still remember that. And that was a long time ago. So I want people to know that domestic violence is in the church. And I, and I don't say that so that you question every pastor you see on, you know, standing up there or every person you see walk in the door, but know that the statistics are that one out of four women will be, or have been, excuse me, have been um, abused in some sort of fashion. I talked to a lady who has been a domestic violence survivor and she now has a, a shelter in her, she's bought a house and it's, she has set up her own shelter and she houses women. She and I sat down and talked, and I said, I don't think those statistics are right. Do you? I said, in my spirit, I feel like it's more than that. She said, oh, definitely. She said, one out of two for sure. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit had put on my heart as well. Uh, So, you, you look at any gathering, professional sports, or walking through the doors of your church, whatever it would be, and one, I believe it's one out of two women have been sexually abused. Now, that's women, because the men don't usually speak up. It's interesting how it's gotten worse. You know, I mean, I know it was always there and has been in terms of, you know, abuse in different cultures towards women. And in America, of course, this has been ongoing. And you do hear a lot of professional athletes or 
you know, like you said, in the church or men that you wouldn't expect that would be abusive are abusive. And there's a trend there that goes back into generations, I believe. And it's a deliverance that's needed, I think, for some of our men. And I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to watch the show, The Shack, you know, where I've read the book. I have not seen the oh, movie, but well, you know, his dad was abusive, very abusive yes. to him. And, you know, he broke that cycle, but, you know, there was quite a story behind his understanding of why abuse happened. So I'd be interested in knowing, was your father abused in his background? We did not find out until about um, six years ago, I believe it was, that his father had abused him. We had only ever had this shining example of, you know, this is our grandfather and he's a wonderful man. But after my father died, uh, we found out that his father had abused him to the point that if he, let's say as a child, he really was enjoying the ice cream for dessert. And I don't know what would trigger it. I, I didn't get that information, but his dad would make him eat it and eat it and eat it until he regurgitated it. And I, I don't, you know, there's so many things about domestic violence, Michelle, that I just do not understand. It is definitely demonic. There's just no other way to put it. Well, and it's to, I think, hurt women, you know, because we procreate, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's been something I think since the beginning of time that this has transpired, but you know, it's just been through the Me Too movement and some other, you know, very brave women who have, you know, you've read stories, you know, from women, but in terms of talking about it and speaking like you and I are speaking and, you know, so many other women are speaking out now and all these stories and documentaries and all these things, you know, are out there. So I think it's really freeing to be able to, to do, to do this. Don't you think? Absolutely. In fact, one of my, um, one of my purposes of sharing my story is because I want to take the boo out of the taboo subject of domestic violence. I want it to be just as freely communicated as things like breast cancer. October is also, um, National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Well, you know, everything went pink a few years ago. You could buy anything in pink, still can. Okay, my desire is to see purple explode like that. By yeah, I see you in purple. You're in yes, purple. Yes, I am wearing purple. <laughs> I am, I am. But that is my purpose is to do that because I can remember as a, as a kid hearing somebody say, oh, did you hear this? So-and-so was diagnosed with cancer. And they'd say, well, what kind? And then they would whisper breast cancer because it was such a taboo subject. Well, domestic violence is as well. I want to change that. And I, I love doing domestic violence awareness speaking for that very purpose. We've talked a bit about how you experienced the early onset of, you know, what I would consider abuse, you know, mm -hmm. from your childhood. Why don't you take us through, you know, your growing up years with that and how that affected you on into 
your marriage and kind of what you dealt with, what you lived with. Explain the emotions and, you know, anything that you feel comfortable with sharing would help through your storytelling. Oh, absolutely. I can remember, it's one of those foggy memories that you'll see on TV and they, uh, they, make the lens very cloudy and it's difficult to see, but it's that kind of a memory, but that I was being sexually abused in the bathtub more than once. And uh, there was a, and I'm not positive that it was my dad. I'm pretty sure it was, could have been my brother as well. I can remember when I was about two, three, four, somewhere around in there, my brother had not done a particular chore that my father felt was necessary before going to church on Sunday morning. And he literally picked my brother up by the scruff of the neck and he picked him up off the floor and threw him up against the wall over and over and over again, berating him for forgetting to do that one chore. And I'm witnessing this. Now that alone is child abuse right there. Even though he didn't do that to me, seeing it is still child abuse. And to have that kind of lack of self-control, shall we say, is child abuse right there. Then when I got to be about 12, something like that, maybe 13, there was a different look in my father's eye when he looked at me. And by this time, my parents were divorced. They divorced when I was nine. And so he went off and remarried just three months later. And mom was left as a single mother. And I want to say right here that she absolutely excelled at being a single mom. So for five years, she ran the house and just did an incredible job of raising my sister and I. And it was not easy. Um, Dad was not paying child support or alimony, things like that. And God took care of us and mom worked very hard two and three jobs sometimes just to, to provide for us. She's a wonderful lady still living. I appreciate her so much. But anyway, when I was about 12 or 13, um, dad began to look at me with just, I don't know any other way to say it, but lust was just dripping from his eyes. Uh, That's exactly my reaction, Michelle. I see the look on your face. That's exactly how I react. And I, I do not understand that. I, I, I just don't. So that put a whole different spin on things. And then when I was about 14 or 15, he basically was trying to manipulate me into coming and living with he and my stepmother. Well, there was no way I was going to. <laughs> he had changed from a pastor Then he became um, a bartender and a drug dealer and a pimp, and he was wanted by the FBI. And then before he died, about the last, I don't know, approximately 20 years before he died, he had voodoo dolls of all of us. You know, I mean, you see this giant wing, so why would I want to go and live with them? That, That just made no sense to me. He had a pornographic shower curtain. He had horrible things like plaques on his walls that, you know, he was just a mess. And I, I had no desire to go and live with him. And so I told him, he kept pressing me. And I said, I'll tell you what, dad, I'll pray about it. And he always made fun of 
my belief in the Lord and, and that kind of thing. But I did. I prayed about it. I, I was going to be honest. And I said, uh, okay, I'll pray about it. And when the time came to tell him, oh, my goodness, he went into a tirade. Thankfully, it was on the phone and I could just hang up. But I still remember that conversation. And I was only 14 or 15. Oh, my gosh, Rebecca, my heart goes to you, goes out to you. I mean, I know you've done a lot of healing since then and all those things. Is your dad still living? No, he died approximately six years ago, something like that. Did he ever make restitution to you or ever say he was sorry or ever come back to the Lord? No, never. And we were, my sister and mother and I were all terrified knowing that he was still alive. I don't know if you remember back in the 90s when there were just random shootings and it seemed like they were all in McDonald's or in the post office and somebody would take in a big gun. So I, don't, I don't know my guns very well, but, um, and then just mow people down with them with the guns. And every time that happened, I would stop, I would let supper burn if it needed to. And I would go to that TV and I would stand in front of it. The kids knew to be quiet because I was waiting to hear if that was my dad that did that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's traumatizing. So you then moved forward into a relationship. I did. And by this time, my mom was remarried and he was, it turned out he was abusive as well. He tried to hide that from her and claimed he was a Christian. And then six months after the wedding, profusely denied that he was a Christian. Um, And it just wounded my mother so deeply. That was not her heart. She still to this day has the heart of a, a pastor's wife. And so she wanted to be married to a Christian man, and that's who she thought she had married. So this was, it was another prison in that house for five years living there. And then I met someone at work, and he had, I don't know if you remember the little Jesus first lapel pins, but he had one of those. And my boss pointed it out. My boss was a Christian. She said, look, look, he's a Christian. And I said, oh, really? So then we became interested in each other, and in a very short order, we were engaged and then married. And I will point out a huge red flag here, two, two red flags. One is that these men, or then they can be women as well, start out very charming, but they want that relationship sealed up in record time. And it's be, my theory is because they're only allowed to hold that mask up in front of their face for so long. They can't pretend forever. And literally, Michelle, within 24 hours, I knew I had married the wrong man. But I had such a strong belief that who I married, I needed to stay married to simply because of how I was raised. Now, do I agree with that? No. <laughs> would I go back and change it now uh, if I knew? Yes, I would. Absolutely. I sure would. So how long did you stay married to this man? I'm glad you're sitting down. It was 22 and a half years. And by the time the divorce was final, it was 24 years. But I left him at the 22 and a half year mark. So that whole time being married, and raising, having babies, and raising kids together, this man was abusive to you. Yes, and I, I will state that um, 
Abuse entails a lot of different things. At the back of my book, I have every type of abuse with definitions and examples of each one. So it's not always just physical abuse. Yes, that does happen, but it's not the only kind out there that there is. And again, in our home, there was every kind of abuse in our home there as well. I did put down one boundary when we first got married. And I said, if you ever touch me, and what I meant was, if you ever hit me, if you ever touch me, I'm out of here. And man, he just snapped like that. And he looked at me and his eyes changed. And he said, he, he just became stock still and just like poised, ready for action. And he said, if you ever leave, you're never coming back. And it just one of those things that just sent chills through me. You've come through so much and... You're such a trooper. You are such a trooper. And I thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's so important for these women that are listening to this podcast to be able to identify red flags when they get themselves into these relationships with these very controlling men who are abusive. I mean, yes, I found the same. You know, I it seemed like I was a magnet for these types of men, because I think they like women that are independent and they like trying to break them down and get them dependent or something. I don't know outside of the spiritual forces that are involved in that. I get, they can really identify vulnerable women or a woman that maybe has come out of a broken background or so it's so critical for women to heal and to get strong and to draw their strength, you know, through their relationship, you know, with Jesus Christ and, you know, to be in a position of strength, you know, to keep from being uh, predators, pawing on them and all those things. So how did you get the courage to lead this man? Well, let me also interject here that he, became progressively worse. And so things didn't stop there. Through the years, they got worse and worse. The last 15 months I was with him, it was just horrible. (laughs) It was really bad. My kids, who were not even speaking to each other, does that tell you how dysfunctional our home was? Um, The kids all said, mom, you need to leave. And, you know, kids don't do that because dad doesn't let them go to the movies every time they want to. That's just not how that happens. They lived in that same home, too. And regardless of who has questioned us in the past of, did that really happen? And you get those kind of reactions after you leave. Yeah, it really, really did. And so the kids uh, more than once arranged a meeting of all, all of us, all five of us, two, I had two sons and one daughter. And they essentially told him, their father, they said, if you don't change, I know mom's not perfect, but if you don't change, one of these days, mom is going to leave you. Oh, well, she would never do that. Um, it happened. <laughs> and it was because they continued, they were loving about it. They didn't try to coerce me into it. They loved me and they wanted me out of that. And finally, one morning I was sitting there having my quiet time and my oldest son was leaving for work. 
and he leaned up against the table. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And he looked down at my eyes and he said, Mom, I'm so tired of seeing you live like this. I see the pain in your eyes. You need to leave. Have you picked a time when you're going to leave? And I just, (laughs) I lost it because I was so miserable. And to know that my kids could see that too. And I don't know, you're just in such a, a tornado emotionally that you know the kids know, but yet in your mind, there's just so much. It's like swirling paint that almost becomes melded into one color. And that's that's basically what your mind becomes. And that broke my heart. And uh, it wasn't long after that. And, and I did leave. I waited, though, for the Lord's time to release me until I really knew that God was releasing me. Yeah, that was my question is, was your husband a believer through this? Yes, believe it or not, he really was. Um, He was a deacon in our church, and they had even asked him to be an elder. In that particular church, whether it was either position, the wife needed to sign saying she would support him. And it was through gritted teeth that I signed for him to be a deacon that I would support him in that. When he came home and told me about how they had requested that he be an elder, I just, is very uncharacteristic for me. I just went off and I said, absolutely not. Our marriage is in a shambles and our, our home is just a wreck. You know, as, a, as an elder, you need to have your life in order with the Lord before you can go and be an elder over other people. I said, look it up in scripture. It's in the New Testament. And he didn't say anything. He knew better than to cross me, I guess, on that one. I must have laid quite a a boundary. Um, And so he never pursued that. But yes, he was. He was was a Christian during that time. I believe what the Lord showed me was that he was in, okay, because of his church leadership position, people would come up for prayer after church and he would lay hands on them to pray for them. And I know this is probably going to be a little, um, maybe over the edge for some people, but I really do believe that demonic powers can transfer from one to another in that kind of situation. And I really believe that was a large part, not just his background, which did play a part in it, but also that as well. And he just, over the years, as I said, became worse and worse. And I believe that was a, a huge contributing factor to it. Were you able to work during this time that you were married to him? He preferred that I stay at home, which is another red flag. Um, now, I wanted to stay at home as well and raise the children. So, it, it isn't that I was opposed to that. But my older self would advise my younger self at this point in time, if I were to go back, at least get your a part-time job, work two or three nights a week, get out. The, thing, the reason for that is, is because if they can keep you on like an island all to yourselves, just the two of you, just your little family, then their goal is to sever ties with everyone you know so that there are no co-workers that can give you advice. There are no family members you can turn to. Even in the, the privacy of our family vehicle, riding, as soon as we would get in, sometimes the doors wouldn't even be completely shut from a family gathering out at my parents' house. 
um, he would start in on everybody and just berate one person after another, after another, after another. It never stopped. Um, so yeah, they, they want to have total control over you. That's another red flag. So did you ever have to go to the hospital because he had hit you or hurt you? No, because I, I had laid that one boundary. He did honor that. He did honor that. Like you said, abuse is abuse. And oftentimes the verbal abuse can turn into physical abuse as I experienced in my first marriage. And not very long, I was out of it, praise God. But unfortunately, I was pregnant when I had to get out of it. But God was so gracious and it all worked out. But, you know, the thing is, you know, God knows and he, I'm sure, sent you strong messages and confirmation. And I'm assuming that you probably had to start your life all over and build new friendships and community. And you had to find new church and all those things. Is that correct, Rebecca? Yes, it is. In fact, I just my own personal experience, I recommend that the victim leave the area completely. I moved about four and a half hours away, and that put a wonderful distance between us because he always kept our finances extremely stretched to where he would not have the kind of money to come and pursue me if he ever found out where I was. So that was part of my agenda on that. Um, and, and I will add that that is a red flag as well. Um, I have been listening to flyingfreenow.org. Natalie Hoffman is the host of those podcasts. She's wonderful. And um, I, I am still processing through my 39 and a half years or 30, more than 39 years of uh, domestic violence by listening to her program. She had somebody on the other day that was talking about how the husband refused to work. That right there is financial abuse because he's purposely keeping the family under his thumb, under his control, where he does what he wants to do, period. And it's, it's a manipulation game. And then when she worked, he would go and uh, he would steal her money that she had earned to try to provide for the family. So, yeah, there are many, 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 many angles to abuse. Well, I appreciate you again going into all of the details and, you know, some specifics and, you know, some red flags and you know, that's so important for the listeners that are listening, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, I think there are some behaviors. And of course, people change, you know, you may end up with someone completely different, like you said, than what you thought. And it's, you know, even if you know the person or know of the person or, you know, these things happen. And like you also alluded to, there's, I think, a demonic force out there too. And so, you know, I just think women have to um, really seek God in their decision-making and really not settle for less. And, you know, if they're healed, if they're whole, if they're 
in a good place emotionally. I think they're going to attract, you know, healthier men into their lives. And I think that's the key. I mean, I worked five years to get myself into a healthy place before I even would step out and date again. I mean, I just, cause I knew that I wasn't healthy uh, in my emotions and my thinking, all those things. And I'm sure that, you know, where you're at, you spent a lot of time, like you growth reflection and, um, you know, just seeking God in this journey of healing and restoration. So this has been wonderful that you could come on the show and you could share what you've shared. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear um, from you too, Rebecca, just kind of some, you've, you've shared a few resources, you've shared some things, but what advice would you have for a woman or a man experiencing this right now? What, what advice, maybe resources, books, you know, the Bible, you know, counseling, what, what would you advise? In the back of my book is another section and it has books, websites, phone numbers, um, all sorts of different resources, pages and pages of it. Um, and then also on the back of my business card, I have the national domestic violence hotline. That's 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. Uh, there's the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. There's the victimcenter.com. And of course, there's always 911, which is a siren call. The w- number one thing I like to leave with people that they're maybe they're not sure if they're victims or not. Maybe they don't know. If, I wouldn't have. If I had read a book like the one that I've written, had I read something like that, I would have known that I was in a domestic violence situation. I didn't know that. And the, and the thing is with these abusers, they'll grab the cell phone, they'll take it over. If you've put in the number for the domestic violence hotline, they'll find it, beat you up, whatever the scenario is that they want to do. And, uh, but there's one thing that they cannot touch, and that is your memory. So just as 911 is a siren call for help, 211 is also a call for help. Now, you can remember 211. That's easy to remember. You don't have to write it down. And that's through the United Way. And they have so many resources available. They will direct you to a domestic violence shelter where they can house you. Uh, they can help you get a job, get training for a job, get child care. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on. So I would say, first of all, Call 211 and talk to somebody. Another thing is if you realize, oh my goodness, I need to get out now. And it is, you have a split second, throw a sheet on the floor, get all of your important papers, the the title to the car, your social security number, your, your driver's license, all of that, clothing, whatever you need, and throw it in the middle of that sheet, bundle it up and run out the door. And if you can, you can also go ahead and get some of these things. If you know somebody that is trustworthy and safe, you can get some of these things to their house in like a a backpack, a gym bag, and they can hold on to it for you. So it's safe and he has no way to get his hands on it. That's another option. Well, thank you so much. Those are great, I guess, 
some good ways to be able to help a woman break free and to get to a better place, especially for her safety. And, you know, I'd also like to know from you, do you have a favorite scripture that you'd like to share when it just resonates with you that you could share with the listener that would be listening that really needs that strength from the word of God? I'm going to share two with you very quickly that, that I sign my books with and God led me to these. And I feel so strongly that they tell my story. Philippians 3.13 out of the voice says, brothers and sisters, as I said, I know I have not arrived, but there's one thing I am doing. I'm leaving my old life behind, putting everything on the line for this mission. And then Genesis 50.20, isn't that good? Genesis 50.20 out of the voice says, Even though you intended to harm me, God intended it only for good. And through me, oh, I have goosebumps, Michelle. And through me, he preserved the lives of countless people as he is still doing today. Those two are spot on. You nailed it. Those are really powerful. God is so good. So thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming on the show, for sharing. For This is a gift, what you're doing. Not only is it faith building, but it's truly a gift for another woman or another man, someone who's existing in abuse and needs the strength. You know, right now you could be helping save lives and helping children and all those things. So I really honor your courage. I honor you coming on the show. I feel blessed to be able to be here. Uh, just so you know, friends, we're going to have her story out there by the end of the week. Um, I will have an episode page. It'll be episode 41. So we'll have, um, her book information, some information that you can glean from uh, that in including this, this podcast, you know, we're out there on a lot of different platforms. God's opening up probably going to be out there on eternity, eternity radio, uh, which is ready radio, which is another uh, platform. So we're just thanking God we're being heard now and countries all over the world. We have more listeners in India than we've ever had. So it's really exciting. Um, but again, thank you so much, uh, Rebecca, for sharing your story. And one last thing, if there's anything that you want to leave a listener with, what would that be? I really struggled with, okay, I'm a Christian. What does God feel about divorce? That just seems so final. And I knew that God hated divorce. It said it in his word. Well, someone brought me this scripture, and this is out of the Amplified Classic Edition. For the, It's Malachi 2.16. For the Lord, the God of Israel says, I hate divorce and marital separation. And him who covers his garment, and in brackets it says his wife, with violence. Therefore, keep a watch upon your spirit that it may be controlled by my spirit, that you deal not treacherously and faithlessly with your marriage mate. God is very serious about this. And when you think about the scripture back in that when Jesus was talking about whom God has joined together, let no man separate. 
God does not join victims with future perpetrators. He doesn't do that. God wants you to have a fulfilling, God-honoring marriage. And that's not going to be possible when there's abuse. So if you feel like you might be in it, I recommend that you start uh, looking up, researching the best that you can. Look up things on narcissism, things like that, and uh, get out as soon as God gives you uh, that green light, because he's got a better life for you in, in store. Thank you again, Rebecca, for sharing those words. And I love the way that you pointed our listeners to God, because that's truly the check. You have to be in check with the Holy Spirit and is leading you through these circumstances. Again, thank you, Rebecca. Thank and you. And now, friends, yes. Yeah, so now, friends, we're going to move forward. And uh, I wanted to just introduce our show segment as I earlier introduced uh, Moments with Mima, Mima's Moments. Um, and I want to uh, say Sandy Williams uh, has a ministry here. And I hope that you're blessed listening to our first uh, show segment. And this, as I shared earlier, is called A Good Name. So enjoy listening. Hi, y'all. I'm Sandy Williams, Board Vice President for Altered Stories Ministry. I will be doing a new segment called Meemaw's Moments. I will be sharing stories about being a Meemaw, which is the name my grandkids gave me, the sweetest of all my names. I keep my grandkids every day, and I hope to share some fun stories that we've experienced as well as lessons I've tried to teach, all scattered with biblical principles. I'll share lessons learned, that I tried to translate from my Texas-based childhood and Southern ancestors to my grandchildren's lives today. And sometimes the lesson gets lost in translation. Today's segment is called A Good Name. You are handy as a shirt pocket, my grandmother told me. I was about nine years old and doing my best to help out washing dishes in her immaculate kitchen. I was puffed up with pride at her compliment, making my grandparents proud was very important to me. My grandparents gave me some of my strongest values and I wanted always to make them proud. When my, when my grandchildren came, I purposed to be the same good example to them, to be there for them, to love them like I was loved and teach them about Jesus, family and our strong country values and maybe some good old country music. <laughs> I believe we are responsible for generations after us. I want my grandkids to know my grandparents and those strong country values through me. One conversation I've had lately was with my oldest grandson. He's graduating high school a year early. I'm so very proud of Caleb. As he goes into the workforce, he will be making a name for himself. And our conversation was about making a good name and how important it is to keep a name that you can always be proud of, a good name. As my granddaddy said, you should be able to write your name on your work and it be so good that everybody knows it's yours. The word of our Lord says in Proverbs 22:1, a good name is to be chosen over great wealth and favor is better than silver and gold. 
So, for Caleb and for all of our 2020 graduates in this crazy year, do what you go to do with pride and integrity so you can write your good name on your work. Until next time, Meemaw says, wherever you go, go with all your heart. Until the next show, friends, be heard and be healed. Altered Stories Ministry is a faith-based, nonprofit, and women's evangelistic storytelling ministry located in Overland Park, Kansas. If you enjoyed listening to today's story, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of women all over the world, too. So please, subscribe to our show and share the link to this podcast. Share it on your social media. We also welcome your valued feedback on our stories. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories and welcome your tax-exempt financial donation. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, you can log on to our website at www.alteredstories.org. 